This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Colin Parrish, a professor of virology in the College of Veterinary Medicine at Cornell University, about canine flu. Welcome, Dr. Parrish. Welcome. Great. It's great to talk to you. How is canine or dog flu different from the kind people get? Um, so the canine influenza is a different strain from the virus that infects humans. Um, there's actually two canine flus, or there have been two canine flus. There was an H3N8 virus that was circulating for about 20 years and died out last year. And then the most recent one is a virus called H3N2 genotype. And uh, that's been circulating in dogs since about 2005. And uh, the canine flus are quite distinct. Um, the H3N2 has got the same name as the human H3N2, but in fact the virus has a, has a different origin. Um, the canine virus was almost certainly derived from a virus of birds or an avian influenza virus, and it didn't derive from the human influenza strain. When did it develop, and how did it come into existence? The canine influenza, the H3N2 strain, um, arose in China or in Korea sometime around 2005. It's not exactly clear wh which country it arose in. It was seen very soon after 2005 in both China and in Korea. Um, it spread in dogs into many parts of China and also um, throughout South Korea, and it was also reported in Thailand, although we're not sure if the virus has persisted in, Ch in Thailand. Um, however, it's been in both China and South Korea up until, up until today, so since 2005. Um, the, the influenza viruses are mostly found in aquatic birds. Um, in this case, it probably ducks or geese or something. And um, although the virus that's the direct ancestor of the canine influenza hasn't actually been detected so far, um, there are a number of viruses that have been seen in birds that have similar sequences that might be related to the virus that gave rise to canine flu. Um, and then the virus, the influenza virus, has a genome that's made up of eight segments of viral RNA. And so, you know, related segments of each of the eight strands of the canine influenza viruses have been found in different avian viruses. The virus um, was introduced into the United States in early 2015, and it thought that it was probably brought in with dogs that were being rescued from meat farms in South Korea, and so genetically the viruses that we first saw in the United States were very closely related to viruses that had been seen in Korea uh, the same year. So how did it spread? Uh, so the virus is like human influenza virus. It has a very similar uh, disease, uh, and um, it's thought that the virus has spread through direct dog-to-dog -dog contact. Um, the epidemiological evidence suggests that you actually have to have dogs pretty much in direct contact with each other to get transmission, um, and there doesn't seem to be very much indirect transmission, for example, through contaminated materials or what are called fomites or other indirect routes. So, so it spreads very readily when dogs come in contact with each other, but otherwise it doesn't seem to be very effective at spreading from dog to dog. And where is it most prevalent? 
So obviously, as I said, it's in China and in, in South Korea. Um, in the United States, it was introduced into the Chicago area, and it's been seen primarily in the area around Chicago and um, the upper Midwest. And the, that virus has actually continued to circulate since it was introduced in February 2015 up until today. There have been a couple of other outbreaks that arose from that introduction, the Chicago, what we call the sort of Chicago virus, and there was one in the southeastern states around Georgia and Alabama that occurred in middle of 2015. Um, there was a second outbreak, and it was actually due to a second introduction of the virus, and that occurred in the, possibly from a virus that was introduced into Los Angeles, but the virus was seen in Georgia and Florida initially, and then it spread to Texas, um, it spread to Kentucky, and it was also been seen in Minneapolis and Minnesota. Um, so it, it, although the generally they're sort of localized, and you have these localized outbreaks, um, you know, in certain occasions the viruses can spread long distances. And what are the symptoms in dogs? Uh, the symptoms, as I mentioned, are very similar to those seen for human influenza virus. So it's almost entirely a respiratory disease. You get a fever. The dogs have a very characteristic cough, and sometimes the, the cough may be prolonged, and you actually, even after the dogs has recovered basically from the infection, um, the dogs can keep coughing for a few more days. Um, the virus is shed starting at about day two after, after the dog is infected, um, and they shed for about a period of five to six days. Um, and after that, they generally recover, although, they, as I said, they can continue to cough. Um, occasionally, you get a severe disease. Occasionally, the virus spreads to the lungs, and you get either a direct viral pneumonia or you can get secondary bacterial infections. But those seem to be relatively uncommon. There are tests for people to find out if they actually have the flu, or is there a test for this dog flu? Uh, there are direct tests that can be used um, but in the veterinary clinic, but most times people would send a swab. A nasal swab is what's most effective, and that needs to be sent to a diagnostic lab. And then the primary test is a test for the viral RNA um, using a procedure called reverse transcriptase PCR. And it's, it's very sensitive um, and very, very specific. So if you do have a question about your dog being infected, then you know, having it tested is a very quick way to find out. It takes about two or three days, a relatively quick way to find out if, if your dog is really infected or not. Can people get it from their dogs? No, there's no evidence for human infection um, by any of the influenza viruses in dogs um, and people and they have people have been tested who are in contact with infected dogs and so far there haven't been any ever there's no evidence of people being infected um, it is true in fact that dogs can sometimes be infected by human influenza viruses and so occasionally a few percent of dogs in the population actually have antibodies that suggest that They've been exposed to human flu and have actually been infected and presumably recovered. Mm -hmm. How about cats? Can cats get it from dogs? Yes, there's evidence that cats can be infected by the canine viruses, particularly the H3N2 virus. 
Um, and there was an outbreak, a couple of outbreaks reported from Korea. And in the United States, there was an outbreak reported in an animal shelter in Indiana where the dogs were infected and then the virus spread to the cats. And it actually spread among the cats and caused disease in, in a relatively large number of the cats. And it died out um, in, the, in the cats, and so it, it isn't widespread in cats. But, in, but the cats, in fact, can be infected. Should dogs get vaccines, and will there be different strains of it each year like there are for people with flu strains? There is a vaccine for the H3N2 canine influenza virus. Um, it's a very safe vaccine, and it's reasonably effective. It's similar in its ability to protect, as, as we see for the human influenza vaccines. In other words, they protect about 60 to 70 percent of the animals that get vaccinated. Um, it's made from an inactivated virus and, um, and you know, protects against the current strains of canine influenza virus. Um, it's, it's not being widely used. It's not at the moment generally um, recommended for vaccination of dogs, but um, it is being used in populations that have greatest risk. So if you're taking your dog to dog shows, it, it's often recommended. If you're putting your dog in a boarding kennel, it may be actually required by the kennel owners, um, and dogs in animal shelters may benefit from being vaccinated. Those are the main populations where the vaccine is being used right now. So at the moment, there's only one strain of vaccine out there, and as far as we know, that's still quite effective. Um, the, there aren't new vaccines being developed every year, as there are for human influenza vaccines. And the main reason is that there doesn't seem to be very much variation in the canine virus, um, so that the vaccine that was developed a couple of years ago is still quite effective against the currently circulating strains of virus. Um, it may be that in the future there will be changes in the virus, and people are monitoring it. We are, for example, sequencing the virus on a regular basis, and the vaccine companies are also looking at the virus to see whether or not it might be necessary to update the vaccine. But right at the moment... Um, the current vaccine is quite effective, and it probably won't be changed for another year or two at least. Um, just, just for clarification, does that mean that they don't need to be revaccinated every year, or, or they just get the same vaccine each year? So the current recommendation for vaccines is that an annual update would be, would be useful in terms of boosting the immunity of a dog. Um, However, that's because, you know, these are inactivated vaccines and they don't give a very high level and a very long-lived immunity. Um, it's not because, in the case of human vaccines, we get revaccinated because the strain is changing from year to year. And so the vaccines are changed, you know, to keep up with the changing virus. Mm. In the case of the canine viruses, we don't need to change the vaccine because of antigenic change. But revaccination, particularly of a heavily exposed dog, um, would be useful in terms of you know maintaining high levels of immunity. Will this affect other wild canines such as wolves, foxes, and coyotes? And if they become infected, will that further the spread and make it harder to contain? As far as we know, um, wolves and coyotes are probably susceptible to the virus. They're genetically you know almost identical to 
domestic dogs. Um, but we don't expect that wolves or coyotes will be exposed to infected dogs. If they do, then it's unlikely to spread much further. The main reason is that the you know, wolves and coyotes are generally, well, wolves may live in a pack, um, but the virus is unlikely to spread much beyond the sort of immediate contact. And then coyotes are relatively solitary. And again, in you know the two or three days that they're going to be shedding the virus, they probably won't infect you know more than one or two other animals. So we don't see you know we don't see there being a big problem in wild animals, or we don't ex- and we don't expect them to contribute to the epidemiology of the virus. What should be the next steps, and will it be possible to contain this and stop the spread? So the spread of the canine flu is different from what we see for human flu. So humans have a very dense and highly connected population and viruses spread very quickly and are very hard to control. Um, Dogs are a little bit different. Their population is much more structured. They don't have as many sort of social interactions as we do. So therefore, what seems to happen with the dogs is that outside of animal shelters and kennels and, and maybe some of the dog show circuit, the virus doesn't transmit very well. And so it it may infect a certain number of dogs, but then it doesn't get transmitted because those dogs don't come in contact with a lot of additional dogs. And so it tends to die out relatively quickly outside of kennels and and, uh, animal shelters and and perhaps the meat farms that are present in Asia. Mm. Um, So we think that the virus actually pretty much is sort of you know, just holding its own at the moment and, you know, with relatively simple quarantine and and infection control procedures, it'll probably, we could probably cause it to die out just on its own. That was actually what was seen for the H3N8 canon influenza virus, which was a, a different virus that was spreading in dogs, and that died out last year um, after circulating in dogs for something like 15 or 16 years. Mm-hmm. It pretty much died out on its own just by sort of normal infection control procedures. So, Dr. Parrish, would you like to tell us about your job and your area of expertise and how you became interested in this topic and study? I'm a professor of virology at, at the College of Veterinary Medicine at Cornell University, and I've been here actually on the faculty since 1988, so a pretty long time now. Um, and my laboratory has been interested in cases of viral emergence. And in particular, we've been studying viruses that jump from one host to another to cause outbreaks or epidemics of disease. And one of those examples, for example, the one we've been studying most has been the canine pulvovirus, which emerged in the late 1970s and caused a pandemic of disease in dogs. It was a a host variant of a feline virus or a virus related to a feline virus. It transferred into dogs and, and gained the canine host range. We also have studied the H3N8 canine influenza virus, and then when the H3N2 canine influenza virus arose, we started studying that as well. Um, so we, we sort of regard these as you know good models for understanding how viruses jump into new hosts and cause epidemics, and they're relatively easy to study. They're widespread. Um, relatively safe to study, and so, you know, it gives us a lot of information about 
you know, how viruses change, how they change their host ranges, and how they can emerge and cause epidemics or even pandemics in some cases. Thank you for talking with me, Dr. Parrish. I've been talking with Dr. Colin Parrish about his article, Spread of Canine Influenza A, H3N2 Virus, United States. Listeners can read the article at cdc.gov eid. I'm Sarah Gregory for Emerging Infectious Diseases. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO.